Hello, welcome to IntelliCast. My name is Brian Lamar. I am the Chief Insights Officer at EMI, and we love that you're listening today. Joining me today is Brian Peterson. How you doing, Brian? I am doing pretty good. How about yourself? Are you doing good? Today's a tough day for you. It is a little bit. Do we want to <laughs> do we want to put that out there now? It's real quick. We can do that. I guess it, by the time this comes out, people will know. Um, we associate producer Emma is leaving EMI, so we will no longer have an associate producer. Yeah, uh, very sad. She's doing something. It's hard to say. You shouldn't do that. Um, right. <laughs> She's going to work at the Disabled American Veterans. Is that right? I think that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and help them with marketing. And so that seems like a really good cause. And she'll be around. She's did a lot for EMI. She did a lot for the podcast. And so we'll miss her. And um, but thank you for all, thank you to her for all our contributions. Yep. And also joining us today. I don't know how you follow that, Jeremy, but it's Jeremy Zogby, one of my favorite people. Jeremy, if you don't know, is the managing partner at John Zogby Strategies. Hello, Jeremy. Hey, how you doing? Um, it's uh, it's always great to be with you guys. Yeah. It, I can't believe that it's been over three years since you've been here. I feel like it, time flies when yeah. there's a pandemic, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there, there's there's two sides to that. I mean, it's kind of amazing, but at the same time, it's like we are in a completely different world than than yeah. we were when we last spoke. And um, it it yeah, time does fly. Yeah, I guess it was at the beginning of the pandemic, and um, that was really interesting. I think you had just started the podcast. That was really cool. Yeah, yep. um, and a lot has changed for you personally since then. So yeah. at the time. I think you had what one child? Um, uh, when the podcast started, we had one. Uh, about three months in, my first daughter was born, and then, and then um, a, a second daughter, third child, and then now uh, around harvest season, Thanksgiving, we're going to have uh, number four. Wow, that is incredible! Congratulations to you and the Zogby family. That's and and to your wife. Hopefully, hopefully she's doing well. <laughs> she is. Thank you for asking. Uh, she. Yeah. She has, she's driving it, and um, I mean, I'm I'm certainly a co-pilot, but um, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Awesome. So yes, yeah, I can't believe it's been three years. Why don't we have him back on, Brian? Unless this is I don't know. It's it's a time flying situation, is what it is. <laughs> well, I, I think I think naturally what ha- what I've come to learn in life is is um, we Zogbies we hibernate in polling in the off <laughs> the off season, and we kind of do more more like um, uh, specialized projects. But once the election starts coming, it, you know, we get pulled back into it. And and I kind of like it. So. Yeah. Before we get to some polling, which I can't wait to talk about, I'd love to hear your take because this is one of my favorite things about you. And we, we, when we did that webinar together, it was amazing. I love your take on um, any historical analogy. So you're kind of a historian and you come from academia and um, America, in my opinion, as being somewhat into politics and an elected official, by the way, that's probably since last time you were on. It's just a weird time in America, so divisive, and I feel like we're, you know, it's it's on the verge of anything can happen, and I wouldn't be surprised. And so, I'd love kind of what your take on just big picture, what's happening. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly unbelievable. And and so, I mean, I guess we could just start out with, with politics. And and yes, I am very analogy driven. That is a um, one of my tools in my, my go to sack that I, I regularly use is to say um, whether if we don't have a historical analogy, what's kind of um, a metaphorical or an analogical other other event to kind of make sense of it. But I mean, let me start out like this. So just just to just to accentuate what you're saying, if you go back to the last decade, let's let's do a very brief review, the 2010s and teens, we saw simultaneously the rise of the the Tea Party and uh, Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street inevitably culminated in the rise of Bernie Sanders. The Tea Party inevitably into the rise of, of Trump. It was Ron Paul, but it, it had to shift over a couple of years over to MAGA. And what we almost saw was a face-off between the two parties and the populist factions, right? In 2016, there are people who think Bernie got screwed. And I, I don't I don't know, but the sentiment is there. And so we came this close to the two presidents, presidential candidates, being from the right populism and the left populism, I just don't know that anything like that has has ever happened in American history. And so yeah. the the next point, though, my closing point is that played out in 2016. Um, Bernie, a lot of people, again, feel was screwed again in, in, in 2020. The point is, is that the, the laws of energy say energy doesn't disappear it, it just shifts it's it, energy is always dissipating and that's my analogy to what's going on populism is here to stay it's not going to go away it's still within our political landscape it really just comes down to who coalesces it successfully and if they don't it's it, a big backdrop to what's going on in politics is the establishment versus the anti-establishment yes and would you say that that battle is going on on both ends of the spectrum? Totally. Yeah. Okay. That's so it's fascinating to me. We could do an hour on this. I'm not sure if I'm going to listen to it, but I think you should have a conversation. I do have one question for you, Jeremy. I was trying thinking back about this. It were we? Is this the most divisive time, or is it going in cycles? Because it feels like maybe. Going into like the late 90s, early 2000s, you had Bush, Gore, and it was like that was a lot of divisiveness back yeah. then, particularly you had hanging chads. Was he really elected? I mean, that was 23 years ago, and we were talking about, well, that election was not real or illegitimate in that piece. But with that, you could see that path going, but we had the a national tragedy that kind of reset us yeah with 9-11 is that the only reason we didn't get to it earlier would you say mm. i know this is a stumper i, I did not prep no <laughs> no it's a it's a fascinating question i mean it's a it's a brilliant question and and i think i think i think there's a lot of a good point to that so then then what i would want to know is what did drive us towards that and and i i have these conversations a lot and i think I always end up agreeing with the people that that we 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 kind of have we talk about what's the pinpoint, and it seems to be that the the trend in media 
becoming, some people say it starts with 24-7 media. That could be true. Other people go a little bit deeper and say there was an unmistakable um, movement towards hyperpolarization from the media and from the parties. And so maybe, and I, I don't know, I don't know if it's a grassroots driven phenomenon from the top, uh, from the bottom up. I think for whatever reason, we we had this movement towards, for example, CNN and, and the rest, the others that are more like CNN and, and Fox and the right and, um, and talk radio. And it just kept getting more intensification. Probably a driver to that could be the economy that as we continued on, our, our economic stability was becoming, you know, less the case. And with, with the, the, the recession in 2008, more people started getting stressed out financially. We never really um, recovered totally from 2008. Felt like things were kind of just being levitated, but for sure the middle class was disappearing. Um, and that middle ground also in politics started to seem like it was going more hyperpolarized. I think there may be a relationship between those two, those two things, but you know, th this is this is analysis and speculation. Wow, that's fascinating. We'll have to have them on again soon to continue this. It's, it's, I just love it so much. It might um, also just be you and I having a conversation with Jeremy off the record, I'll, like I'll non recorded so. about this. <laughs> yeah, we should just go have dinner. With, we should just drive up there and go have dinner with them and his kids, <laughs> and then and then make that the Platinum Club, you know, for yeah. for membership <laughs> membership only. That's right. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because it's somewhat yeah. somewhat um, related. Is um, the, we have an election next year, a little over a year from now, and of course the election cycle starts so soon. We're kind of in the midst, at least from the Republican side. And there's even kind of rumblings on the Democratic side. We already have a one, you know, one opponent who probably doesn't have much of a chance, but he may not be running for 2024. He might be running for 2028. And um, curious what you're seeing kind of early on with polling. And is, is this a runaway for Trump? What, what What's going to stop him? Are we seeing Trump Biden again? Um, I, 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 it, the short answer is, is like, we're just tracking it, right? So, I mean, the awesome thing about polling, first, people should know, all right, what polling isn't. At this point, we're not predicting. Um, polling only begins to predict. The only pollster that, that should say, okay, I can predict, predict uh, what's going to happen in the election, that occurs really in the last week. After you've tracked so much, uh, over so many months covering all the undercurrents, following voter turnout among, whether, among key groups, whether it's suburban women or just women, among African-Americans, Hispanics, uh, 18 to 29 versus, you know, conservatives and the whole gamut. And you've, start, you've watched the trend line and over a year plus, you can say, I think I know it's going to happen. We're going to do one last poll in the field before election day. That's the only time that we can predict. But your question as to what we're seeing now, um, I mean, right now, Trump is is still the the Don. He's the Teflon Don. Um, there's all kinds of speculation where this is going to hurt him. It could. I'm not saying it's not. 
But when I look at his favorable ratings, and you know, especially among Republicans, the bulk of his favorable ratings are, are those who are very favorable as opposed to just somewhat favorable. There's a massive intensity factor within most Republicans. And we see it in poll after poll, he's dominating the pack. DeSantis was getting 20 something percent. Now he's sliding. Trump is dominating. And what I think is it, it goes back to this populism, right? And it's playing out on both sides, but especially on the right, is who is really going to convince Republicans who is the quintessential populist? Yeah. DeSantis is Trump light, and it looks like he's not going to do it. Nikki Haley, I think, aligns more with the establishment and, and moderate. Yeah. How, can she flip that? I don't know. Tim Scott, Tim Scott is is awesome. He's got a great story. But Tim Scott has an evangelical problem. I don't have a problem that he's an evangelical. I just think most, you know, voters, most that that's that was like 2000. That doesn't drive the Republican base. What drives the Republican base is we're ticked off with the establishment. Yeah. And we want somebody who we know and trust will get in their face and we'll call them out. And who is going to do a better job than Trump at that? Love him or hate him. I obviously don't endorse him. Right. Um, and then there's one more Republican I'm a little bit intrigued about. And then I'll ask you some more specific polling questions and what you're doing. The Vivek Ramiswamy, he's from Cincinnati. So I was kind of a little bit in tune with him. He yeah. seems interesting to me. I think he's another guy that's not running for 2024. He's running for 2028. But um, interesting, he's getting a little momentum. Yeah, and and totally understandably so because um, he is doing that that kind of MAGA talk with with a millennial, yeah, cool twist, and and so he's found a niche, and I would say right now he's got a niche market. Uh, I agree with you. I do think he's uh, positioning himself for the the long game because he wants you know he's young. I mean, of course he wants to win. I, it, again, it's going to come down to. Can he make the MAGA movement become convinced that he's the real deal? He right. can say he can say he, you know, he is the real deal. You know, on the, the debate, he said um, he said, I think word for word, the climate agenda is a hoax. That's yeah. Trump like talk. Yeah. But will will people think that um, he is the real deal? I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe he'll be considered for a VP, but I just don't. I right now don't see him ousting Trump yeah. at the moment. Right. Well, this was a lot of just um, your opinion based on knowing the landscape and being into it and some data to back it up. I'd love to talk more about what um, John Zogby strategies and what you're doing in terms of polling. And you, you kind of mentioned some of the data. How often are you doing polling right now? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, it's uh, well. It, it's certainly more now, but I would say you know, since about May or June, we we've been fielding at least a few survey, uh, three to four political surveys, uh, national political surveys a month, and and a bunch of you know states here and there. So I mean, we're we're doing regular uh, polling on the topic, and um, yeah, I mean, I I um, I'm staying on. Uh, top of the trends as much as I can. I mean, issues and, and party sentiment. And then I just did some polling on some things that I think are going to 
um, really be in the background, but play a, a prominent role in, in, in the election coming up. Yeah. Interesting. And so do you, do you try to do polls in Iowa, New Hampshire? Is that an oh, yeah. big demand, right? Oh yeah. No, we have, we, we have, we've done a lot of polling in New Hampshire, a little bit in, in Iowa. And, but you know, the big story of the day is how much are um, Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, we're still in a, in a, in a moment right now. We're trying to figure out what's going to happen. The DNC right. has ruled what they, what they've ruled. And uh, New Hampshire says, no, they're going to be first. Right. Um, I think on the Republican side, I think they're, they're well, I'm pretty sure they're going to do that too. But what happens after that? But, you know, Iowa, it's sad because 2016 was the first nail in the coffin. Um, um, 2020 was the final nail. I yeah. think Iowa is still important because they have that infrastructure of the the civic part participation, retail politics. No yeah. other state has that tradition yeah. and can really replace it. So Iowa is still pivotal, but we don't look to. I, I don't know that it. It'll be it'll be interest, interesting to watch in January. Will it create what it used to create, which was media money and momentum? Will it have that effect come come January? Yeah. Okay. I've lost my train of thought for a second. Sorry. I, I've got one while you're getting it back. All right, go ahead. With the, you said you're tracking a bunch of the issues, Jeremy. Is one of them not necessarily like a normal social issue, but is it age of candidates? Is that, are we seeing that as more of a concern? I mean, we're having two, what the two front runners are a lot older and getting to the point, like you have the combative of, oh, you have to have mental faculties and stuff like that. They're throwing it back and forth. I'd say you're both too old to be running at this point. Yeah, we don't we don't need to have someone die in office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we just have that problem in general. I mean, we have it in Senate. We have it in in <laughs> Congress. We probably have it at the local scene. But you know, with Trump, it's it's more the attack of that he's crazy and 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 corrupt and criminal. Although they were they were questioning a little bit of his well his mental stability from the Democratic side, mm -hmm. the age thing is really, and and I've been tracking this not only in terms of polling but just watching the media. The New York Times last July in 2022 came out with two headlines in one week, overtly stating, "Biden, you're too old." I mean that was the message. It, that wasn't word for word the headline. And so it's been cre creeping and creeping. And I think we're in a moment where, you know, we we as data people need to watch this. Are we at that moment where he's going to go after the waterfall? Because the, po the poll from CNN a week or two ago, um, you know, showed showed that that a lot are questioning his age. You have people like David Ignatius at the Washington Post outright saying Biden stepped down. And so we're just starting to see it in the poll numbers. His favorables are still very high among his party. He's over 70% viewed favor favorably among Democrats. When you put independents and Republicans into the mix, he's underwater. And he's, you know, he's very intensely disliked the, you know, the ratio of, um, you know, we split unfavorable, somewhat unfavorable, very, the, 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 the lion's share is within the very. So, but but his party still likes him, but his party are starting to part with him um, because of the, the the age factor. Meanwhile, you've seen Newsom um, kind of just appear uh, mm -hmm. over the summer, and 
does that mean something? Um, does it mean Newsom? You know, it would have to be Harris, but you know, I think Harris has a problem herself as well that people kind of, buy, you know, voters in general, by and large, I don't think really like Harris. Right. Yeah. Um, great question, Brian. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm really fascinated, and I think that um, suburban women. Um, is where Trump has challenges with, and a lot of people think that's where Biden won in 2020 and clearly did win. Um, now they're gonna have to make a tough decision in that, you know, is it, I'm gonna, am I gonna, it's lesser of two evils almost, I think, because I don't see how any of those people will switch back to Trump. And but they're also, if they're not completely satisfied with Biden, they're gonna have a tough um challenge. That's just really commentary for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, I, I think what's this is my intuition backed up with some data. Um, but right now, everything is is inflation, inflation, inflation. Um, there are other issues that are very heated. Guns are a top issue. Guns are usually in in the top three of, of what we see. And when we ask what are voters' top issues that drive them to the polls. Um, let's put it like this. There's tier one and then there's tier two. Tier one goes to inflation in the economy because it it doubles what would come in as second, third, and fourth place, which usually get about 20 something percent among all voters. Inflation is usually in the 50% of, oh. of voters who say it's the top issue. In that tier two, and it, it changes depending on events in the news cycle, is, is um, the southern border, crime, um, the yeah. environment, and um, and guns. Yeah. Whether we say guns or gun violence or or, yeah. or mass shootings, about the same. Yeah. Those are the tier two issues. So to your point about suburban mothers, they're going to be concerned about all of those issues. I mean, everybody's concerned about them all, but especially... Yeah just kind of the sociological nature of, of a of a suburban mother. But but inflation is obviously the most because that's what we feel and live with all day in terms of being able to, you know, to have a, a stable living. So who can really give the most, the best, simplest message? Like we're going to have to move beyond the problem. You know, we're going to have to stop talking about, we get it, Biden inflation, it happened under Biden. Um, we get it. Um, but, but who has the actual solution? That's what's going to be key in convincing groups like those pivotal groups that um, the, the candidate who's going to win the day is going to be able to have um, the most clarity behind what you do about inflation. Yeah. But you, you mentioned other issues, and um, I assume you're following what's happening in Ohio around abortion. And it's kind of doing some interesting, like, um, voter turnout and in Ohio um, there's a vote this November around putting some abortion laws, um, some pro-choice laws um, on into the state constitution. And then the Republicans had a special vote in August to try to stop them from doing that. And this is a very controversial topic everywhere, but we have a vote on it in Ohio this November. It's going to have a huge turnout for a, you know, it's more of a municipal election year in Ohio. There's not much 
going on to vote on other than this i think we're gonna have a huge turnout because we did in august and i always think about that when i'm thinking about turnout is what are the other issues that might drive the the i might or might not vote voter to the polls and ohio has one this year but i'm sure lots of states will have them next year as other states try to codify abortion or enact laws around abortion freedom and things like that. And I'm sure there'll be gun laws and things like that. Is that something that you try to take into account as a pollster and you measure um, and you include when you're doing polls or is it not? Oh, totally. No, totally. Uh, Intensity is what, what I'm looking at. And if I can just give an example about how I kind of, I saw, I, I was able to predict what would happen in the midterms by by casting the widest net around issues. If I had solely looked at inflation, um, I would have thought that Republicans were going to take back the House. But I knew it was a competitive race or races because in the the congressional generic, you know, who do you, who would you vote in your district? I mean, it was Democrats were usually had three points, three percentage points which was pretty much within the margin of error. And so my first question was, why aren't the Republicans ahead? Because inflation is in their favor and they're driving that. Right. And so so what I, I did a, a series of questions about, you know, the, the candidate who supports X, Y, Z, does that make you much more likely, somewhat more likely, somewhat less likely, much less likely to vote for them? And I took the issues of that time, which was the Keystone Pipeline, um, you know, uh, what else? Uh, inflation. Um, a candidate who says they're going to fix inflation. A candidate who says they're going to restart the, the, the Keystone Pipeline. Um, stuff on the wedge issues of, of, a, of abortion. You know, wants to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, a whole litany. But the one that showed me what was going to happen. And this is like, you know, I, you'll, I think you'll agree with this. The one that showed the most intensity was the claims of election uh, fraud and denial. And what I saw was when you, because remember, when we combine the scales, vote much more likely, somewhat more likely, or somewhat less, much less. The numbers that were coming in on vote much less likely to vote for that candidate, it was like 45% alone, which was, which I guess, to, to give to give you an idea, the Keystone Pipeline for those who were likely to support that candidate would have been 55, 56, 57 percent combined, uh, much more, somewhat more, much less likely to vote was almost equaling that. And so that was the intensity factor that was showing. And by the way, I, I, I should I should have said this up front. This was among I was polling purely independent voters. Got it. Yeah. Not all voters. I was polling purely independent and independent voters showing that much intensity against an issue showed to me, holy crap, I think I found the pony. They're not going to turn out for Republicans. And that's exactly what happened in the battleground states. Oh, that's so interesting. So with with exception of Ohio, J.D. Vance won. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's fascinating. And I'm sure the Republicans know this, right, that they know that. If you claim the election was stolen, that is a losing issue among that big independent middle voter. But they're still, you know, they're still kind of doing it. Um, they're still, still kind of talking about it, which clearly is a mistake, right? 
I, I mean, I, I think for, I mean, for me, it is, I mean, but, but then it's a conundrum, you know, yeah. because the, the MAGA voter, the average MAGA voter has, has bought into that. That's what, yeah. that's what they believe. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to disparage um, views, but like, that's, that's what they believe. Yeah. It, remember, Hillary voters did the same thing in 2016. So that, right. that's what kills me. Yeah. Is right. that they don't they don't see that they're doing this to each other. But the Stacey Abrams voters did the same thing. Yeah. It, I, I think what we're agreeing is is it's it, it's an infectious um, message. It, it clearly yeah. infects a lot of people, but it doesn't really seem to to necessarily guarantee wins. So I mean, I I would hope that Trump is taking that into consideration. But, you know, that's Jeremy, about would it. you would you say it's more with that kind of stuff? You are kind of going towards your base. So you, it's going to get you the win in maybe a primary, but it's not when you have to go. When you're not just going after your 30 percent, 33 percent base where you're needing to try to pull some of that other 66 percent in. That's the factor that it's leading into. Yeah, the if, those kind of things where you kind of mentioned the strongly not with the independence, but if you were just going with that MAGA base, it's probably flipped the other way of strongly supporting a candidate that's doing that. So is it kind of a rock and a hard place there? Like, well, I need to to even get a chance to be to win. I need to get in the game. And yeah. so to get in the game, I have to follow this. But yeah, believe I, it or not. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's so hard to, to know. I guess the only thing I can really comment on is is that, you know, we being independent minded, um, you know, what, what I what I would just say is um, it's a damaging strategy. I mean, I, you know, I, I look at the effect and, and how it it's it's hyper polarizing. And, and maybe that's the answer to your question is that. Mm -hmm. You know, these issues that really push people's buttons and get them, you know, get them angry are the ones that you kind of bank on to um, to get people to, to drive to vote. Your your democracy was stolen from you. I mean, it it certainly it certainly it worked with Hillary and getting her her Democratic base worked up into a tizzy. So Trump was doing the same thing. I just hope by now they they think maybe there are better strategies to, to winning. As someone who sits in the middle, I would say I'm an independent. Depending on who's running, I'll vote either side. It's almost like there is not that middle ground anymore. You have the for primaries, you are on the far ends of each spectrum. And it's you are, as Brian said, picking between two what is the least worst option at this point. It's not who is best, it's who is not the worst, who is less worse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, independents by nature sit on the fence. Um, I'm one myself. Um, I don't feel I have a home with with the Democrats. I used to, and when and when I did, I was a proud Democrat. I left the Democratic Party. I flirted with with um with Republic right wing media like talk radio, just because I I just felt like as an exercise as a student of ideology, um, I need to study and understand what ticks them. So for about a good year, I listened to Sean Hannity and and Rush and and some of the others and and some and some libertarian people just to get the whole gamut of the right. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, what I see is independents don't have a home. Um, true independents in in the polling, that is, those who 
equally vote Democrat or Republican are about 20%. The rest are, are uh, Democrat, Republican, or Democrat leaning or Republic, Republican leaning, but only one fifth of them truly have equally voted for both parties. And, um, you know, but then you look at ideology and those who describe themselves as moderates, and there is crossover be between independents and moderates, but, but different demographics. Um, there is still a middle, but the war is happening on the, the opposite sides of the spectrum. Yeah. And what, what's unfortunate is that they have to get drawn in and um, it's, it's an unfortunate thing. And so it, it kind of begs the question, will we ever get a moderate candidate again? And what does that mean? Does it just mean moderate in appearance? Does it mean moderate in tone? Whatever. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like I feel like this hyperpolarization is coming to a headway, and um, unfortunately, it's um, it's pretty chaotic. When you mention the moderate piece, I, the reason I brought I thought about this, you have like a Mitt Romney, who many would consider kind of your more center leaning Republican. What would be a moderate? Yeah, when he ran for president, a much mo a more moderate campaign. You have yeah. that another another one leaving there. And it seems whatever's going to replace him is going to go yes. on either end of the far end of the spectrum. And as someone who sits in the middle, it's like, all right, I don't know. Is, are you going? Are we going to see people that are independents that kind of sit in the middle get to a point where it's frustration and it's going to be like, like almost sitting out at this point? Like I don't like either option. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean. Or, kill or will that increase an option of all right? We need we actually need a third party and actually a viable third party. It certainly could work in in favor of 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 a of a of an independent run. I I, I do I yes it, it certainly can mm -hmm. it, it certainly would now you know whether whether how far that would go I don't know but but I I, I would certainly agree with that. Sorry, Brian, I jumped in on you there. No, it's great. I was going to ask the same thing. I mean, I've always wanted a third party. I'm like, I'm really a lot like both of you all, and I don't like any party either. Um, and I tell people that I'm not happy with either party. And I'm certainly in the middle, and I would, I'm, you know, I'm more of a libertarian in nature. Um, and I don't feel like either party is really truly libertarian or fits me. I don't fit inside of a party anymore. <laughs> I think there's certainly a third party option that has to emerge from this, but there's just too much money in the two parties. It's almost like they collude. Well, they do collude to exclude the third party. They just they would never get into a debate and couldn't get money and things like that. So I almost feel Brian, that it's whatever that third option is going to be. It might not be a third party. It might be a joint ticket of sorts where you have one, one kind of centrist from either side, and it's a, hey, we're going to run combined, and then you're going to take kind of all the middle from both sides, and you're only going to leave the extremes. Like a Tim Scott and Kennedy combo, put them in whatever order on the ballot, run independently. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I think. Well, I think it would be huge. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be huge. And, and because in independent... I, I see an analogy between being an independent voter and a moderate voter, because an independent is going to be a mixed bag, right? 
a moderate is probably going to look in my research looks a little bit more liberal but but they don't have they may have some hard stances but they're purposely not identifying as a liberal or a conservative right they will have a lean but but what that tells me is that the candidate that will appeal to that is the candidate that knows how to draw ideas from both sides yes and our problem in politics is there are very few people who know how to successfully do that who know how who know how who I, I think libertarians are good at that because you know they you know Ron Paul um his his principle of non-interventionism he said that applies to the economy where if you're a big bank we ain't saving you if you if you go bankrupt and that also applies to foreign policy where if you're if you're fighting a civil war we're not getting entangled in it because we have to look at our self-interest and doing either one of those things comes with strings attached. And right. so, so, I mean, the candidate who knows how to, to look beyond left, right, and knows how to find some kind of bridge between opposing views, which is very possible, um, I think is, is the candidate that can pull that off. We could do this all day long. I'd love to hear what you're doing What's, what, what's the next six months like, like at the John Zogman Strategies? This is clearly such a fun discussion. You, yeah. you clearly have passion around it. You study it, and um, that's fun to talk about. But at the end of the day, you're doing polls every week, and this is a crazy, starting the crazy time period. What's the next few months? Can you predict the next few months in terms of uh, how much work will you do? How many polls will you do? Well, I, I guess this is where I, um, I I do a little one of those full disclosures. And um, I, John Zogby Strategies is doing some polling work for uh, for the Kennedy campaign. Yep. Um, and so uh, there's going to be a lot of that. Um, I, we're not a member of the committee. We're, we're an independent vendor. Um, but, I mean, basically, that allows us to to research the whole national elections. Um and and so I mean we're we're gonna we're gonna be tracking that we're gonna be tracking where voters are at with uh with all kinds of issues and um doing some of our own questions um yeah. that that we put on you know at the end to not impact the you know the the rest of the results uh and I I've got I mean I I've got some interesting um proprietary questions of our own that maybe we can talk a little bit about but. Uh, all yeah, which is a, well, all of which is a long way to, winded way to say that we're going to be as busy as heck. <laughs> yeah. So, when you say you have got some data, is that proprietary data for uh, for the Us. research for you all? I'd love to talk about that because yeah. um, you know a lot of people don't know this. Some people do that. There's research, public research, which you see and read every day, but then the campaigns do their own research, which may or may not affect their talking points and how they act and um, I'm assuming you do both, and yeah, I'd love to hear if you have any any takeaways or points. That you, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let, let, let's look at a, just a few qu uh, key questions here. Um, As you're pulling that up, are you going to be looking at potentially in the future here of any sort of shutdown or impact of that? Like, are we going to be looking at who, like, essentially who is going to take the blame and who's going to take the hit on this? I feel like I have a thought, but I don't know if it is an impartial opinion on this it, well, fe it feels like your your far right wings are going to take the bigger hit with a shutdown but maybe that's just my thinking 
Oh, oh, you mean of a of a government shutdown? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it seems to be, it's it it seems to be that's usually the case. I think um, that you know th there'll be this whole song and dance that we keep going, chicken dance that we keep going back to, where the you know the Republicans say you've got to cut this. You're you're just so uh, you're so irresponsible, and the the Democrats are going to say, oh no, but it, but if you do that. People aren't going to, you know, people are going to go homeless or, or people aren't going to get fed. And um, and then it just seems magically, you know, usually in the last 12 hours, they work it out. I mean, there were once or, you know, there have been a couple of times where they didn't. I, I would agree with you. I would think they the Republicans would probably because they are just going to be, you know, blunt. They hypocritically uh, grandstand um, that that they're they're being responsible when when we know they spend as much money if not more money than democrats is it going to be more like the congress like um house of representatives though taking the blame because it sounds like senate overall like hey we've got this children down there figure this out because we're ready to go yeah i mean that's what it looks like that's what it looks like sorry brian i took us on a tangent again no i think we're getting ready to, to, to talk about some proprietary polling they're doing yeah so all right, I'm going to start with um, I'm going to start with with media and then and get in a little bit into AI. You know, trust is a big thing, uh, trust in government, trust in the media, and so I wanted to know with this question, generally speaking, regarding national news you follow, do you believe it's reporting facts, distorting facts, or leaving out important information? I'm going to look at the overall and the party breakdown. Overall, this is this is likely voters national survey. Thirty-one percent said they think it's reporting the facts. That's like wow, that's pretty low. <laughs> um, Twenty-nine percent, almost as much, say it's distorting the facts. But this is from we're asking people the news you watch. You know, not, you, know you know what I mean. So, thirty um, percent say it's leaving out important information. And 10% are undecided. So if we just combine distorting facts and leaving out important information, that's 59% right there who wow. say it's not reporting facts. Let's look at it by party. For Democrats, under half, 44% say their news is, is reporting facts. Um, although they are more trusting because 20%, only 20% say it's distorting facts. But still, a quarter of Democrats, 25%, are saying it's leaving out information. So the, the key takeaway, less than half of Democrats, 44%, believe it's reporting facts. Among Republicans, not surprisingly, um, it's lower. Because I think when they hear national um, news, you know, maybe, actually, I don't want to try and get in their heads. We'll just take it as, as, as it, it is. 19% say it's reporting the facts, 38% say it's distorting, and 36% say it's leaving out um, information. Wow. And then the independents here are somewhere in the middle. 30% say it's reporting facts, 29% say distorting, and 30%. So, I mean, the key takeaway here is American voters, very three of 10 of them think they're even getting the facts from the news. Yeah. What, what does that do? It's sad to say, but I'm probably in that that majority of the distorting or leaving it out. I feel it's probably more leaving it out than anything else, because we all know 
you have that's why the saying it bleeds it leads type situation you leave you lead with certain news because you know you're not beholden to reporting the news it's i need to make sure i get ratings which leads me to get advertisers which pays the bills and all of that so i mean here here's um here's just a a thought that comes to my mind when i see these numbers you turn on the news and everything's urgent, 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 right? Yeah. I mean, that's, you could just turn off the, the, the you could just mute it and just watch it. And probably the, you're going to get still put into a, you know, a state of anxiety just by watching the visuals. Right. And, and the noise behind it all is this is urgent. This is, and maybe after COVID, I, I'm wondering, um, maybe we're just tired of, of being in a constant tizzy and and state of anxiety and and maybe the media has just gotten into such a habit of of like you said brian it bleeds it leads that are we just going to start tuning out i mean so so this is a good this is a good follow-up because i asked about national which begs the question well what about your local news this gives us context oh and i'm just going to go over the overall um 47 say their local news is reporting the facts. Wow. So what are they reporting? Wow. Right. 17% say they're distorting. 25% say they're leaving out in, in important information. So th- this is what we see in the data is this is this is endemic. At least with this one, though, the of what you're comparing a majority, at least think they're reporting facts this time around where it was a vast majority for national, the other way around of distorting or leaving out information. And even what you're saying is reporting facts, but there's also probably a, the quarter of saying, yeah, you're, re- you might be reporting facts, but you're leaving something out there. Yep. Yeah. Just, just, just under half. So uh, then, then here, I mean, let me look at this one. And I'll just, you know, do a lightning round on this one. Do you believe AI is already generating news online? I was prompted by a Drudge Report headline or picture, you know, they're they're very dramatic. And it was news, you know, something like news is taken, uh, being taken over or will be taken over by AI, journalists to be replaced by AI. So I thought, well, do voters already think that's happening? We're all going to get replaced. <laughs> yeah. 22% say yes a lot. That AI is already generating news. A fifth of voters, half say, this is 50%, half say yes, a little. Only 8% say not at all. And 20% are undecided. Wow. And then, I mean, this gets a little futuristic. I mean, maybe we could, maybe we could just stop there and kind of like, you know, comment a little bit. That's really interesting research. And is do you put this out in any type of format? Um, is this public information that you put out? Well, actually, you guys got it first. I am in the middle of <laughs> writing press releases for this, so oh, it, wow, it, okay. yeah. So you you heard it you heard it here first, and um, yeah, I will be releasing this. There's three sets, three stories in this whole data, um, and and let me ask you. Do you do you want to continue with the AI and the media? Do you want to go to trust in levels of representative government, or do you want to go to how people feel about their their own communities? What what's of most interest to you? Well, Brian, you pick. I don't know. Because Brian, you are a <laughs> local community representative. I think we go to the tr- the wow. feelings of local community. Good. 
That's a good one. Uh, oh man. Okay. So, all right, folks, we're Americans. Um, let's just start with our sheriff. How about that? We begin with your own county. How much faith do you have in the sheriff of your county? Only 25% say a great deal. 42% say a little. 17% say not much. 7% say none at all. I, I, I'd like your, your take on that. I guess my question is, did you ask, can you name your sheriff in your county? Because sadly say, I don't think I could name the sheriff for my county. That's a good question. You know, I, I hate to pose like test like questions because, you know, I feel like when we ask your opinion, they're going to they're going to tell us. I know they're going to tell us the truth. Otherwise, in the data, we would see it all cockamamie. But it's it's always logical. But then when we start asking about questioning their level, I I, I try to steer from that because I, I feel like mo do most people want to admit that? I don't know. Um but that's, that's a very good point. But I would make this case. Since COVID, because of all the mandates, some your sheriff was either saying, screw the mandate, or your sheriff was saying, this is what you need to do. I, I, I shouldn't say sheriff. It came from the executive, um, uh, the executive uh, in the county, the executive branch. Um, but, but the sheriff was also, you know, up there enforcing it, right? And so I think... I think COVID is my take that th that this may have been impacted by voters' perception of their their sheriff as to yes. be because of what they did during COVID. Yeah. Now this is just—it's really sad, honestly. When you yeah. when you when you put it all together about the divisiveness of our country and the lack of trust in media and the lack of trust in your sheriff. Or institutions in general. Institutions in general. Do you trust your um, school board? You know, do you trust your health department? Do you trust the CIA? Do you trust um, Fauci, Dr. Fauci? All of those would probably have somewhat similar data that's divisive, right? And put it on the media um, or whatever. It's To me, a lot of this data kind of makes me sad, honestly. It's, very, it's fascinating, especially when you look at the, at the subgroups by age, you know, I really like kind of the age groups. Um, well, well, keep the faith, Brian, because I <laughs> because because of your statement, I'm going to show you a little bit more. Um, but but let's let's say this here. Here's the silver lining when you look yes. at this data. Uh, and let's just focus on who has a great deal of support. This is what's amazing. See, this is the stuff that doesn't make the news. I, I see so much in the news of why Democrats and Republicans are different. I yeah. always say to myself. But there are probably a, a ton of ways in which they're similar. Well, yes. here's an example. Only 24% of Democrats say a great deal of faith. Only 30% of Republicans. You would think that would be higher. Yep. So, so what we see here is Democrats and Republicans both have lost faith, which means they actually agree on something. But instead of barking over the problem, we should be we should be talking about what the solution is. And um, I um. Yes. Let me let me move to I go to governor and, you know, it's their low numbers. And then I go to the office of the presidency. Oh, I, so not the president itself, the office. OK, I like okay. it. OK, oh my so God. we're trying to get less. You know, we still see a partisan play out here, but <laughs> still not good. Um, overall, 17 percent have a great deal. Oh, my God. Of, of, of faith in the office. 
Uh, among Democrats, that's 27% have a great deal. Among Republicans, that's 10. Among independents, that's 14. So what I'm seeing here is what I ask is, well, what 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 does make people feel? Okay, let me put it like this. What this data is telling me is beneath all of the noise of inflation and guns and and um, the environment, all these major issues, people are now beginning to 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 lack trust. And so, and and as we're going to see in, in in other data, safety. And so, the candidate who who can who can kind of capitalize on that, I don't think they would be best strategized by making those the, the forefront issues, but find a way to weave that sentiment in there, I think is the candidate that's going to do very well. And if they can do it convincingly. Um, go Jeremy, ahead. as you're showing that, while it is a little depressing seeing all that, it's honestly not surprising. Right. I mean, we've kind of talked, we've kind of touched on a few of the things over the last hour or so where you like, all right, we have election denial. Well, that's bashing how the overall structure of how we elect our leaders. And as we've said, it came from both sides. So yeah. it it's hypocritical components of both sides attacking institutions or structures when essentially they don't get their way is leading yeah. to this. So it honestly depressing, but not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I listen, you know, cause we're all parents and, you know, I think we're kind of all of a similar age group. I mean, you guys can't be that much older than me. I'm 40. But 38. You're 30. Brian, yes. what are you, Brian? I'm over 50. Just turned 50. Okay. So, I mean, you know, you could have been my older brother. Um, I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would know how to win office. So, <laughs> um, so, so uh, I, I, it, it's... It's on our shoulders. I mean, what's visibly yeah. clear here is those who are 65 and older have less and less of, of, a, of a stake in this. And we are the ones who have the stake in this. But what I'm hopeful about is I, what I'm seeing in the data with our generation is we're like millennials and 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 um, maybe to a little bit lesser of an, of an extent, Gen, Gen Xers are just saying, like, who cares about party? Why do I care? That my daddy, my great, my granddaddy, my great granddaddy, great great granddaddy, whatever, was a Republican, and and mine, you know, mine was a Democrat. We we who are in our, you know, I'm going to say broadly speaking, 20s, 30s, and 40s, and even early 50s, are caring less and less about that. It doesn't mean anything to us. It, it, what what matters to us is that things have to be. You know, we grew up with a promise of the American dream and we're watching it slip away from us yeah. and we'll, we'll roll up our sleeves and we'll say, OK, I'll deal with this, but I want my kid to have that. Yeah, I'll sacrifice yeah. it to the next generation. And so it's going to be on us. And I think because of our inherent more mental flexibilities of not falling into to line with the party and these post-war institutions that are defunct. Um, I think the silver lining in all of this is, although it's chaotic, it's going to breed innovation. And, and th th those who have solutions need to step up. Wow, that's awesome.
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I we talked about, um, I think local politics is really, if you're frustrated with like national politics, I think if you get involved in local politics, it's a lot more rewarding. And I'm fortunate in many ways to be elected official in my community. And I talk to Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, non-political people, and we all have the same kind of wants and needs and interests. And it doesn't, the letter beside your name, no one even asks it. Um, I look at it because I'm a strategist and I know which groups of people are Democrats and which are Republicans, but you wouldn't know that just by talking to them. And so I would encourage people to get involved in your local, go to your local city council meeting, um, get involved. And that is just so much better and less frustrating. And well, it might be frustrating in some communities, but at least in most, I don't think it is. I had the opportunity this week, last week to drive around my um, Ohio state rep so they'll have not our national rep but for our state and drove him around the community and he mentioned his frustration with his own party and he disagrees with his own party and lots of different things and i thought that was such a great thing i didn't care about the letter beside his name he's someone that i trust and i would vote for because he's not just someone just a rubber stamp for his own party and so um that's my little soapbox for the day no no but it fits perfectly into what i'm saying because Maybe what we realize, maybe a critical mass of us, of us, you know, 55 and, and under, um, just by virtue of we, you know, to varying degrees, we still have decades ahead of us of work to do. Maybe what we'll realize the awakening might be that Washington, D.C. is screwed. And, yeah. and, and, and who wants to go up against Goliath? And and maybe even my state capital is screwed because where's the money coming from? It's coming from the Fed, right? So what can I? Where can I have a voice? Where can I make a visible mark? I and you know, three years ago, when we did some of our podcasts, this was some of the stuff I was polling. Was there was more trust in in local, uh, even though those sheriff numbers are are lower. Um, I think they're I think they are higher than than the office of the presidency, but even going more local than that, your school board, your council, the the people who who's you know your life is actually you know felt and touched by that we're gonna have to have a renaissance of a reawakening of what we can control around us and not what goes on in the online sphere, the online sphere, the blogosphere, and the metaverse, right? <laughs> right. And and to your point, that there's probably likely more sensible people at, at the local level just by virtue of it's easier to find out. You know, it's it, it's we don't know what goes on behind the scenes in the state capitol and 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 behind you know government doors, but we can figure out a hell of a lot easier what the heck is going on in our own community. Mm-hmm. Right. So this will be released. You'll release this. And we do talk about this date on your podcast. You know, we were supposed to. Yeah, actually, yeah. We, I just, I just, uh, we just did the, the podcast today. And I did talk about more of the, um, the, the media part of it, the first part of this. Okay. Fascinating. Um, man, I wish we could talk more about this. Um, yeah, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for doing that, though. Yeah, it's really, it's, you know, it must be really cool to be a pollster 
to be able to kind of think this through and ask cool questions and try to put the story together because you know anyone can ask who you're going to vote for or how happy you are but you're connecting dots and putting context into it um from a, a knowledgeable standpoint and that's the that's the cool thing i think what you guys do is that we joked around that you all are sitting around dinner talking about these issues, right? And you're discussing and debating and trying to put them in context and forming your opinion from other people that think you may not think exactly like you, but are interested in this. And to me, that's kind of the fascinating thing about what you all do. Yeah, and I, and I think what you know, look, because they're they're, I'm, I'm of course every pollster is going to say they're going to think that they're the best, and <laughs> and the reality is is. In, in any of these, any of the, you know, the big polling names, you're going to get data that's going to, that's going to help you. It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, set you back. Um, but, but we're all different. And what I love about us is, is, and this really just comes from my dad, is that, yeah, my dad could get into the numbers like, like anybody, you know, he, he, he can, he can talk numbers, believe me, spew out demographic data, and and facts from from almanacs and all that stuff but at the end of the day my dad's ability to command a story to tell a story and put like a human face to it you know that that to take numbers and tell you what it actually means i think there are a few pollsters who know how to do that and and i'm coming from that tradition and that really is because my you know my passion for history which i get from my father you know, I grew up with history books, um, maps, and 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 encyclopedias, and all that stuff all around us. Um, and and so the the ability to take the numbers and to and and to to to, to each data set has a unique story to it. But then the next level is not just translating the numbers to to the story, but then also what am, what what what's the unseen? You know, like what. What would most people miss and 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 you know leave out just because they're not trained? That's where I think we 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 really really shine in, and I think we ask very different questions too. Um, so I, I love it because it, it gives me my ability. You would think polling is very quant, and it is. It is very quant, but I, I I'm able to be myself, which is a very imaginative, creative person. I spend a lot of day, a lot of time throughout the day. Uh, daydreaming, imagining um, how conversations might go, you know, with this person or that person, which helps me to be very strategic. It also helps me to be very empathetic. It's teach, it's taught, it's helped to teach me empathy. Let me just say this, and I'll and I'll end my my long answer. You know, I'm very sensitive about the questions we ask because these poll respondents are human subjects, and so we go through a very long revisionistic process process of of revising i should say to make sure that what we field is is a good set of questions are fair and and that we don't upset people you know like i I don't want to load too many apocalyptic questions on my (laughs) on my subjects and have them lose sleep you know or ask to get or get way too involved in their personal life i think now we're we're crossing the the line of ethics but the, the moment a burst of created creativity and sensitivity hits me most in my final, what, when I basically say, all right, this, this survey instrument, I'm handing it off to the field. 
It's going to go out there and I can't do anything unless I shut it down. That's when I start thinking like, all right, should we really say it this way? Maybe we better say it that way. And so there, there is just, there, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there, there's such a, a holistic 360 degree aspect to this work. It's, 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 it's much more than, than quant and, and numbers crunching. There's a lot of things to consider. Yeah. Zombie Report is the name of your podcast. How's that going? I love it, man, because, um, you know, I, I always want to do the best I can representing me and my brand. And this podcast, if anything, amidst a very crazy time, yeah. has helped me to learn how to communicate, try to communicate the facts, go into the numbers, give give your take on it, but try to be different from all the noise we're hearing. And 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 so it's 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 very multifaceted. It's my dad, a baby boomer, me, a millennial, an older millennial, um, um, and and both work together. Have very different views of the world. My dad is very much a, a boomer. I'm very much a millennial. But what you will see unmistakably is that although we disagree, we're practicing in this podcast. How do we? How do we? show people how to respect and love each other because if we lose that that's just not a place we want to go down now we we don't have 10 you know we're not joe rogan we have a we have a tight small following but we have some very influential people who tune in some think tanks some um members of the state department journalists um but but i think i think we found a niche in that market there's no other father son the closest thing would probably be Sanford and Son. <laughs> I love that joke, but but yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I, I look forward to it every week, and and we've had a lot of discussions. Sometimes it's been tense, but yeah. I think we've really found our groove. And sometimes I just let loose, you know. And I, I, you know, but but most of the time, you know, we are put in the position to demonstrate to people. Um, guys, we got to talk about this and we have to listen. And as, as much as we can't stand another viewpoint, it's there. We can't be thinking in terms of the Terminator. How do we, how do we terminate it? How do we live with it? Yeah. Yep. How, well, how can you, how can you agree to disagree and still civil work with, work with them be involved in your life with someone who doesn't have your same viewpoint. Yeah, you know, I mean, a, 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 absolutely. And and if if you, if one wants to know how to do that through a strategic way, a practical way, I think the easiest thing to do, and this is, I remind myself every day, whether it's our f family interactions, whether it's client interactions. We're always an ambassador. We're always a brand. We're, well, I mean, we're, we're human, right? But I mean, we're, we're like a brand ambassador of ourselves. And we are going into a messaging battlefield where the people that you are interacting with are bombarded. How do you hold their attention? How do you keep their respect? And how do you, above all, get them to say, you know what? He's not one of the loonies. He's not one of the crazies. That is, is, and all the while maintain integrity and don't be fake about it. That is, is what drives me. And I, I man, I, I just hope, I just hope that 
a critical, uh, not everybody needs to know how to do that, but a critical mass, a critical number need to know how to do that. And I'm going to say I'm optimistic because I see a lot of truth seeking out there. And um, in the short term, I think things will get very rough. But I think in the long run, th those who are able to do some of these things that I'm talking about, go back to local politics, um, navigate yourself properly in the messaging battlefield, and don't make don't make an idiot out of yourself. Better times will be ahead. Well, I love. I was scared we're going to kind of close with something negative, but I'm glad we worked that out. So somehow we close with very very positive and. Um, so I appreciate that about you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming on. How can people find you? How can they reach out to you, learn more? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, www.johnzogbystrategies.com. J-O-H-N, Z is in zebra, or O is in orange, G is in uh, green, B is in blue, Y is in yellow. www.johnzogbystrategies.com. We have a podcast button. You can... Um, you could be added to our list to get it sent to your e email inbox. Please do that. Please give it a look. We keep our conversations to pretty much 20 minutes of the most essential news you need to know about that week. Typically politics, but we do get into a, a host of, of other things. Um, and I would say that's the, the, the fastest and best way to, to, to get to it. You can subscribe to it on Apple, YouTube, um, Spotify, and, and some others. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Learned a lot today. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Jeremy. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. And this this one was awesome. Love talking to you guys. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>